It's 6.28 p.m. Oh, grief. We're a minute late. This will never do. And welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. And Ian is still on mute, but we're still blue and yellow till we die. I'm Simon Sansbury, and if Ian can mute quickly, unmute. I'm asking you again. I'll send the request again. Let's do the music and then we can get on. Okay, this is not going quite so well. Having problems unmuting Ian from our uh, from our intro again. Um, so, and we're done. Yeah, there we go. Right. Okay. Welcome. So we're in. We've 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 had our spatter of music. We've had our bit, and I didn't even swear. Are yeah, no, I heard all of that uh, whilst frantically trying to listen to Jaws to unmute myself and find the right screen where I should have been. But here I am. Yeah. And we're ready for another roller coaster of a Sunday evening, Simon. So how's your week been? Um it's it's not been too bad, really. It's not been too bad. It kind of feels nice. It's been a bit nippy at points. But um it's winter. What the hell were we expecting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I blame the Tories. Um <laughs> so uh yeah. I, d- I do. Yeah. It's that Rishi Sunak's fault. That yeah, that yeah, nice yeah, man yeah. Boris Johnson would never have would never have organised weather like this. No, 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 wouldn't have. Never would have had it under Corbyn. Well, having problems unmuting. No, we we wouldn't. No, indeed. Um, the there would have been an end to winters. So, what we got? How was your week been anyway, mate? Oh, good news. Really good news. Is the project I've been summoned up? Tuesday lunchtime? Oh, I'm going to get me chip injected. Bill Gates will be able to control me via 5G. It's uh, no marvellous. So vaccination coming on Tuesday lunchtime. So um, no, loving life. Well, good. Well, glad to glad to see. Um, I mean, to be fair, for, to be fair to them, it, they are getting right through the list. They announced today, didn't they, that they've got through the first four cohort groups, um, and they are making their way steadily, uh, steadily through. Um, so success. Yeah, fifteen million. It's a it's a pretty strong effort, to be honest. And mm. uh, and yes, yeah. Well, let's let's hope that uh, continues at pace. There's no unpleasant variants, and uh, summer is coming. Hashtag. Yes. Um. And in the subject of unpleasant variants. So today we've got. Um. Unfortunately, we couldn't bring you Jerry live, so we kind of we've put him into a little box. By which we we mean we did a recorded interview with him yesterday. Yeah, rather than suggesting Jerry's dead in some way, which will probably oh. perturb the listeners. I think oh, you've oh God, you know, dark sorry. there. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Well, we've I'm, killed I'm, and buried I, Jerry somewhere secret. Yeah, um, I, um, this is not it, the way this podcast was intended. Yeah, and to yet go. we and yet we wonder why there might be a shortage of guests. I don't know. Um, who'd have thought? So uh, yes, so we've got some. We've got um, well, we've split it into two two little segments. So we'll um, we'll try to kind of make our way through so that we can we can get all that through. But um, so today we're going to be talking. So Jerry's going to be talking about his view on how the how the budget meeting actually went. Um, we're both going to be surprised because obviously it was done in under three hours when we were both thinking it was going to be an eleven hour. Yeah, fest. yeah. I, th- I think I had I had eight and a half, and you went for the full nine. Yeah. Um, so we were rubbish at that. So don't get us to pick your lottery numbers because we we we're awful no. at it. Great. Um, Great. But um, 
So, um, and Lynn is saying actually on the subject of jabs, sorry, um, Lynn's saying in the chat that, um, that she had hers. Well, great to hear it and good to hear that people are um, that they're making their way to, I mean, my parents had theirs, had theirs last week. I think my flatmate's got his next week. So progress is progress. So it's great along stuff. nicely. Mm. So, so before, mm, go before, we, before we get down with Brown, um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's first fire out your Plenty dreadfully one-eyed and biased on this day. How dare you? That's outrageous. Um, okay, so in 1076, Pope Gregory VII excommunicates Holy Roman Emperor... What? Excommunicates Holy Roman Emperor Emperor the Fourth for the first time. Is that really Holy Roman Emperor? Henry the Fourth? I don't, I don't know that that's the case. Henry the Fourth? Yeah. He wouldn't have been an emperor. Yeah, I've, I, I, I think you've, my source might be a bit... You've got your facts absolutely, man. <laughs> oh, That's a no. word soup of a fact of the day, don't oh. they? <laughs> yeah. Okay, yep. so 19, 19, 1924, Thomas J. Watson re renames the computing tabulating recording company, CTR, as International Business Machines, IBM. Oh, yeah. Yeah, once a major player in the city. And did you know that... Um, the 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 recalcitrant computer HAL in two thousand one Space Odyssey, uh, written by Arthur C. Clarke, is called HAL because H A L are the letters that you get if you go one letter back from IBM. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's I mean, I don't know whether that's complete rubbish, but obviously that is what you get if you get one letter back from yeah, uh, yeah, IBM. Yeah. But nonetheless, I thought it was um, uh, product product placement. Hmm. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. So, in 1971, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that. Sorry, anyway. So, in 1971, Richard Nixon installs a secret taping system in the White House. Well, that didn't go so well for him, did it? No, that, that ended very badly. <laughs> that was not a home improvement that he would have been pleased with. Yeah, that, that's like opening a ventilator door on a submarine, isn't it? So, um, in 1984, Britain's Jane Torval and Christopher Dean famously dominate the ice... Dancing at the yes at the Sarajevo Winter Olympics and perform Ravel's Bolero, um, scoring a record nine of nine perfect scores for the for artistic impression. Yeah, I can still hear the tunes in my head and I can still see the costumes as they flitted across. Yeah, the, across yeah, the ice. she was all in the style of a cape, wasn't she? Um, okay, I, I don't yeah. know. Was it a cape? Really? Yeah, yeah, it's um, just the old... Um, kind of like a bluish kind of aqua thing, oh, unless my memory's completely lost. It's so, bullfighting, isn't it? He, he was, he's strutting about like a bullfighter, and she's playing the role of the, the cape that he throws about. Because at the end of it, he, he the, the, the ending where it goes... He sort of sort of flings her, and she slides across the ice in a sort of cape-based style. Well, do you know what, Ian? Um, here we are, um, 36 years later... 37 years later, and I've just no, got the artistic impression. years later. You've done that. Oh. Um, and, I, and I've only just understood it. I was just focusing on other things. I just thought it looked nice. So anyway, um, there we go. Sorry, guys. <laughs> the you know the artistic intent completely lost. Um, yeah, yeah, completely the artistic lost impression. On, on, I gave them a full on, six. You, yeah, you would... on 12-year-old on Simon was completely lost. So yeah, yeah. apologies for that. So, okay. So that was our on this day. Um, so let's kind of just chat roughly while um, while we um, <laughs> while we wait to press play on on a bit of Jerry. So um, 
one of the things we've, we've been talking about recently was uh, as about um, arrangements that the the government was putting in place for the uh, for the upcoming May um, local and police and crime commissioner elections. So um, so we've done some we've done some research into looking at the sorts of things that they're talking about and the sorts of things that they've announced. Um, and of course. Um, what the, so what they're saying is that yes the elections are going on ahead and bearing in mind what we'd said previously they had until the 29th of March to decide to change their mind but nonetheless going ahead um, like it like it's really going to happen so may the 6th be with you so people can vote in person or by post or by proxy vote um, and they're encouraging people if they want to register to vote by post that they register early yep because um, they you know quite logical that there'll be lots of people that maybe actually don't want to go out um but in a normal election um the closing date for registration for postal is 11 um working days before the election and for proxy six working days before the election at you know 5 p.m on on those dates um but in this election what they're proposing is that uh, if you are um have to isolate or you're um, you have a positive covid test um, that means that you actually can't make it to polling and you haven't already organised a postal ballot that you've already um, you've already exercised, that you can apply for an emergency proxy vote up to 5pm on the day of polling. Ooh, I'd be interested to see the mechanics of how that works. It will be interesting to get into the guts of how that's going to work because, um, yeah, there might be some people that might try to do different things with that, but hopefully not. Um, and um, yes, so um, there'll be cleaning regimes um, in you know polling stations. Obviously, and people um, volunteering at them and going to polling is a is a justified and um, reasonable reason to uh, to leave your property. Um, but the um, people will need to wear masks um, in the polling stations unless they're exempt, um, and the stations will be um, the touch points will be uh, cleaned before and after use, and people will be recommended to bring their own pen. So those Facebook memes about you can't trust them because you're voting in pencil, take your own pen, they might have actually had a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah, weird no, that, no. but don't say that about any of the other conspiracy theories on the internet because Ian and I will be cross. Um, cross after Tuesday. No, listen, indeed. Listen but you won't be allowed to be cross because, you know, I mean, I don't know what 5G signals like down your road, but... Um, yeah, well, the lizard people don't like it. They're not having it. Yeah, but, you know... Um, Let's start. We'll have to invite David Icke on the show. So, um, and also the government mentions that. So, there's a practice. Um, there's a practice called vote harvesting, and that sounds that sounds a bit dodgy. And that's the practice where campaigners collect postal ballots on behalf of people and it, and take them to the returning officer. Um, now, I don't know what other how other parties approach this, but mine basically walks away from this. Sticks a barge pole's distance between any. Um, any accusation that we're handling actually completed ballots, we will help people by ha um, sending into the council on their behalf their completed uh, postal ballot registration forms or sending them postal ballot registration forms. But we won't actually pick up a completed ballot and, and um, take that to anywhere because what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, no, that always doesn't look right, does it? Could you drop this one into the, right. into, the, into the returning officer for me? We didn't vote for you this time. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Jenkins. So, um, yes, um, you know, what could possibly go wrong? So that that was um, that kind of quick one rundown. Um, but the um, but the council meeting. So the the budget passed. Oh, spoilers. Well, 
is it any shock it happened on Tuesday? Surely everybody watching this has already watched Maybe it. Maybe people were saving themselves for our insightful podcast. Maybe people have thought, well, I might want to have a peek, but <laughs> seeing as Simon and Ian have got the Inquisitor on, then I'm going to save myself. But you, you've, you've done it now. Yeah, to be fair, we didn't... I mean, that's not kind of how the, you know, the conversation went, but, um, but true. Um, okay, so... Um, and Dave Fuller in the chat is saying that he will be saying goodbye, but because he's standing down as um, as a councillor after um, many years' service and after a, um, a stint as um, a, as a, a as a well loved um, Lord Mayor of Portsmouth. Lord Mayor, yeah, no, yeah. we are. So I I took him for a spin with my. Uh, he, he was brave enough to do the blindfold walk for guide dogs. So uh, so we took him for a spin around the Guildhall, attached to one of our working dogs. And uh, yeah, no, he, he, he enjoyed that, I think. You know, people enjoy it and then do the, oh my God, how terrifying was that? So it's, uh, yeah, no, good well, stuff. Well, I guess that's the, I guess that's the purpose of the exercise, right? To exactly kind of help them, ex help exactly them experience that. So thank it. you for your service, David. Much um, appreciated. Thank you. And Scott Peter Harris uh, points out um, points out that it was two times, uh, two times Lord Mayor. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Dave said, who knows, he might be back. Uh, I'm sure the lovely people of Fratton would 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 welcome him back back with open arms um so um so there were a couple of amendments um which jerry kind of talks on a little bit um and um we can i guess we can talk about in the interval between uh between yeah. the first segment so shall we shall we wheel out our, our jerry recording i think we should yeah okay so i'm going to start that playing hopefully that works someone in the chat tell me that it's working properly when it happens um and um and then we can um well you and i will go and get a drink or something i guess and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. kind of come back to it but okay uh no that's not what i wanted to do see this is what you get when you let the intern have the weekend off when i say that we don't have an intern just to clarify right Okay, is this working? And, and with us in our carefully re pre-recorded interview, which you can tell, hopefully, um, we're cunningly arranged that we look different, um, is with us now is Jerry the Inquisitor Brown. Good evening. Nice to talk to you both. Welcome, Jerry. Good to have you back on the pod and your your scrutinaginous insightful skills into the worlds of uh, of Portsmouth finance never been more valuable and this last Tuesday was the you know oh how we got it so wrong the expected 10 11 12 hour meeting was done in three and the budget was been agreed so what, what are your first impressions of the budget as a whole well I, I had the advantage of um, watching the previous week's cabinet meeting where the chief finance officer presented his budget and explained it in depth to members um, who were also attending the cabinet meeting. Um, and that was a really, really, really thorough explanation. But it was it was it was one you could understand. It wasn't all numbers. It yep. was mostly about what he's done and why and what the impact is uh, and what the risks are and what they're doing to mitigate the risks. All in all, I think, given that in recent years, the council budget support from central government has dropped by about 50%. Um, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Um, we've still got, you know, the rubbish being collected, the, the parks and gardens being maintained, services being done. Oh, when I said 50% cut, what I meant was 
50% of the addressable spend. Yes. So there's a portion of the budget that you have to spend. You've got no choice on having to spend that. But of what's left, half of that has gone in the last five or six years. So to still be able to provide all those services says good things about Portsmouth City Council. Um, and there's a good outlook. And compared to many city councils, or many local authorities around the country, Portsmouth is actually doing pretty well. Um, we're not bust like Croydon is, and like other local authorities are, who have had to cut back just to their core services and nothing else. Um, it's, I would say, I, I was surprised at how good it was. Yeah, and I think the other thing with that, Jerry, is if I, re if I remember, you know, in the, around the middle of last year, there was lots of portents of doom with, you know, there was going to be a £20 million shortfall, there was, you know, uh, no parking fees were being collected, you know, the, a lot of council revenue was being, you know, lost. So, you know, it, it, it sounds like a good news story in terms of where we ended the year. Yeah, and I think it is. It's um, it's quite impressive. We've still got a good degree of reserves. Um, there's some good plans going in place. The One of the issues was, of course, like with all these things, the information from central government didn't turn up until about a day before the cabinet meeting. So all of the finance staff are having to work pretty much overnight to reflect the impact of those changes into the documents, which meant the documents weren't extremely thoroughly checked before they got presented and they've been corrected since for the council meeting um but yeah you know hats off to the finance group for all the work they did on that it's a huge amount of effort and they did a great job so on the day there was there was always going to be foretelling uh, we were expecting amendments to, to come in from the conservatives and the team labor did they uh, did they say true to form and table alternatives they did. Um, to be, without being rude, the, um, the Labour amendments were, like most amendments, uh, a whole group of maybe 20 or 30 changes to um, spending, uh, both up and down, which I think uh, some of them, from the Labour uh, perspective, were really good. I didn't quite believe that they could balance the books in the, in the way that they suggested they could. So they were suggesting that we don't replace the education case management system or the legal case management system, um, both of which are likely to go unsupported in the next 12 months. So that was unrealistic to remove those costs. And that was like, uh, along with the workforce, workforce cloud technology, that was the best part of 2 million, which was what their total deletions were. So their deletions weren't really acceptable and yep. because of the risk that you put to critical services by not having those case management systems. So um, kind of, and, uh, and we're all, sorry, to, sorry to cut in there, Jerry. So at a time when we're all learning to work or have learned to work from home, cutting back investment in cloud-based services does seem a bit of a, a, a stubbing your own toe kind of act to me. I yeah. That's something yeah. you rather than stop, but, you know. Yeah, but I think they had to find something to take out in order to mm. make the budget balance again. Mm -hmm. right? And those were the easiest things to pick off. Mm. Um, and you might be able to defer them for a while, but you add risk and you don't really want to add risk to those services. Um, but the things they wanted done to add to it were actually, you know, things that I would mostly agree with. Um, but if we can't find a budget for it, then we can't find the budget for it is the answer. 
and I think that's the eternal question, isn't it? You know, again, you, you've touched, uh, you know, and we've had this conversation um, before and, and I've had the odd spat online, which is that the pie is the pie. The only choice you get is which size each slice is. You don't get a bigger pie. Mm. Um, so, so I take it Labour tabled them. I don't can't see anybody delightfully voting for them. And I think that, all the Labour group voted for it, but nobody else did. And then what about the brave and noble Conservative offer? The brave and noble Conservative offer, which I have in front of me, presented by Councillor Donna Jones, was that, um, and this was quite different actually, um, compared to the normal set of amendments that you see. This was actually pretty straightforward. You know, it's really different. You've basically gone for one big idea. And the one big idea is that they, um, they sell um, a, a development, Cabbage Field Row in Haven, which is a housing development being put together by Portsmouth City Council, because Portsmouth City Council owns a lot of Lee Park. Um, so they're suggesting that uh, that gets sold and that would raise about five and a half million. And that five and a half million could then be taken off the necessary borrowing or, or whatever um, from elsewhere. Um, but then you could add in things like um, a council tax reimbursement scheme, which was uh, four million. That's a four million reimbursed in council tax. Uh, so in other words, um, taking the 5% rise. 4.99, Jerry. If it was five, yeah, we'd have to have a referendum, yeah. wouldn't we? Yeah, 4.99999% right? of that. That's four million thousand, four million quid and 80,000. Um, so if you sold Cabbage Field Row, you'd be able to fund that increase for year one. You then wouldn't, of course, get the, uh, the housing that Cabbage Field Row provides uh, in the future. Isn't that in line? Um, isn't that sorry again? Isn't that part of the, um, the the current plan to for more social housing or for more housing for home or housing for homeless families? So removing that that bank of land from from that possibility would then surely create a cost further down the line of where you end up then putting those houses. I think you'd want to split that into three parts. Mm. Um, talking about social housing, which was the first thing you're talking about. Um, social housing is incredibly difficult for a local authority to provide easily by itself yeah. because the it just won't pay for itself mm -hmm. is the answer you know it's not self-funding so you have to have a pile of money somewhere to uh, use to implement the project in the first place and you're unlikely to recover that except over a very very long term the second category is um, uh, affordable housing which can pay for itself uh, and that's not a bad idea and it's it's doable by the council and the council is getting around to doing that sort of thing as well as uh, some social housing um, and i guess the third uh, the third area of housing would be where you've bought property to let commercially either as commercial premises or as um, just in the rental market uh, which is perfectly possible but you have to separate all three because they, they all get treated in separate ways and they all get funded in separate ways um, so yeah, the, the likelihood of funding massive amounts of um, spend on um, social housing is is low for any council, I think, unless you're Westminster, who had a brilliant brainwave. And what they did was they owned a huge piece of property um, called Dolphin Square, or they owned half of it, and they flogged it. 
and they used the money to set up a charity and the charity now funds social housing build in Westminster for people who would otherwise not be able to afford to live near where they worked in the city. Mm. So that's a good plan. Okay. So all we've got to do is find some asset that's worth like 50 or 60 million that we could easily sell and we could do the same thing. Sadly, I think they've all gone. Mm. Yes, there's no problem. There's not many of them down the back of the sofa, is there? No, and, and it's not like we're going to be able to sell HMS Victory or the dockyard or, you know. That's like, that's, surely that's like putting the dockyard or the or the Spinnaker Tower on eBay. Um, it's, um, you know, that ain't really going to work, is it? There's not much left. I think we've, I think we've had the Spinnaker Tower on eBay and nobody's buying it. There's no, a, that was yeah. Vessel. That was Vessel. Right. Sorry, but no, I thought there was a, I thought there was a paint it now button that you could press on eBay. <laughs> well, you go from then... blue to red. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes, or red and gold, or whatever, or who the heck. Um, okay, so there had there was a, basically so, so the so the Tory amendment was to um, was to reduce the impact of the increase um, and to do that by subsidising that by selling an asset. Yes, I take it that was exactly what it was. I take it the other teams weren't keen. Um, the the I think the amendments all failed. Yes, yeah, yeah. All, all, all the amendments, were, but didn't um I forget whether PP um whether the um the Portsmouth Progressive Group whether there was theirs raised as an amendment or was it just kind of subsumed by the by the administration agreeing to um agreeing to look at the thing that they wanted, which was about more spend on mental health, wasn't it? Yeah, that was also um in the Labour group. Mm set of propositions so i think it's going to be looked at but not necessarily um a big number allocated to it okay so it's um so ian's done a run and look i'm back no he's back 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 some things never change i have to deal with my dog who about podcast time besides it's time to go out time to go in one of other the other into the bottom third of the of the um image mate i don't know if you can i shall sit forward okay looking better yeah, that's better. Well, I don't know about you looking better, but we can see more of you. Oh, this is a good thing, I'm sure. So the amendments failed, and the Lib Dems, big old whacking council tax rise, see you right, 4.99% plus other good stuff, as yep. we're describing it, came forward. And I suppose the only option, the weird thing in that piece, is that I guess if Labour and the Conservatives would have ganged up, they could have voted it down and left us in a Trumpian style, no budget. I guess they could have done, but they didn't. <laughs> I mean, they, they could have done, but the, um, I mean, honestly, you can't, you can't oversay what a surprisingly good job Portsmouth City Council have done with the numbers this year. It's like, I never saw that rabbit coming out the hat. It's a oh, really no. good job. No, they've, 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 they've done i mean the thing is you know these are strange strange times as we keep saying and and you know that there has been you know there's been more money from central government but there had to be Mm. because the expenses and the income that you know pcc would have planned for were absolutely all over the place so what what was the final verdict then Uh, did everybody join arms sing kumbaya and vote it through unanimously pretty much and normally we'd all have gone down the pub afterwards but sadly that didn't happen you know we had to sit at home and have a you know 
a virtual small beer. beer. A small beer. Hmm. That was really great news. So is there is there more to say uh, about the budget, or 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 shall we move on to your your your? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll move on. I would say if people really want to understand it in depth, and it's quite complex because it's some of the funding is multi-year funding, so excuse the numbers. Go and have a look at Chris Ward's presentation at the cabinet meeting that occurred. Uh, when was it? Uh, on the second, I think. Yeah. Tuesday the second. You can find it on the council website. Really great presentation. Okay, so this is where I frantically tried to start the um, start the video back up. Hello. So Jerry, as ever, his his forensic looking looking to um, look into what was happening. Um, Although we didn't kind of like touch on the on the politics there, but in the in the end, the um, the the unamended. So um, both of the, so all three of the amendments, so the amendments from the Conservatives, the Labour Party and from the PPP group um, fell. Um, so the unamended, the unamended budget um, passed with uh, with 20 councillors voting for it, 15 voting against it and, and seven abstaining. Um, so. Um, we we have a budget. I mean, there was no point pretending we weren't going to have a budget. We need one, otherwise we're kind of stuck, right? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, uh, say it was a uh, an interesting in the in so much as you know, if we look at it, when we you know we we, we had a little play last week and the the numbers were looking hideous some time ago. Um, we get to the end of the year. There's been some extra money sent in by central government and we've managed to balance it up and um yeah looking reasonable for next year so yeah it could have been i, I think the I, I think the kind of well, way it to look officially dodged is the uh well i mean there's you know there's still some there's still some very tough times ahead for uh for the city and for the for the residents and 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 for the for the businesses in the city but it seems like when you look at other councils that are, you know, that are going bust or in or in much kind of harsher situations that than Portsmouth is, um, yeah, it's 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 far from perfect, but it could it could have been a hell of a lot bloody worse, really, couldn't it? So oh, absolutely, absolutely. So um, so we've not got you quite voting um, Lib Dem just yet. No, 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 no. Good Lord, no, no. That would be that would be wrong. Or voting Labour, which is much the same as voting Lib Dem. <laughs> No, it's not. It is. Of course it is. I mean, you of course know, it is. It, we'll cover this in the local elections, but even, there's an even, element of, <laughs> don't matter how many seats the Lib Dems or the Conservatives win, Labour will give you the big old leg up, won't they? Comrade. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can all sing the red flag together. But another party choosing to support you because the last thing they want to do is to support your party um isn't the same as them being the same as us that's just them picking the lesser of what they perceive as two evils yeah, yeah no i um, think it all worked much better when the uh conservatives and lib dems worked together but the uh, it didn't like really that, work out so much so well for us did it really we kind of got no, a bit no. shafted there um yeah, so well. no the yeah well, let's, let's not talk about the c word no no coalition. so seeing as we had jerry's a fiscally astute brain we we picked up a second topic with him which is the uh some of the businesses that the council owns and runs and should councils be dibbly dabbling 
and speculating with other people's money. Yeah, so there were some points that he was making about how um, how this isn't new, um, and and actually some of the lessons you might be surprised to find haven't actually kind of been learned from when it's where it's been done elsewhere in the past. So um, Jerry's done that done the legwork on that, and um, and in his usual, as we say, forensic style, um, reports on that and gives some thoughts about how how potential pitfalls can be can be avoided. So shall we shall we wheel Jerry back in? I um, should. Yeah, let's wheel Jerry back in and this time I'm, I might go and get a drink while it, while it's playing. I don't know. Um let's try. So okay. So the chat the chat's gone a bit quiet. There was a bit of a mutual love in everybody, as everybody expressed their appreciation for for uh, for Dave Fuller. But then everyone's gone quiet, so hopefully th there aren't any kind of spats starting. We're not going to start any kind of no. any of that any of that malarkey. Right, here's Jerry. There have been um, large cuts to the amount of central government funding to for, for councils over the last 10 years. Um, and um, what some councils have done is to get into um, different investing mechanisms in order to try and actually see a return to help them support and fund um, and fund local services. And you've done a lot of work looking at how that works or how that doesn't work and what sorts of hot water councils get themselves into. So tell us, tell us about that. Okay, well, let's just kick off with a brief review of um, private companies that are owned by the city council. Mm -hmm. So I think there are currently four of them, even though I think there should be five. And they are the... Portico, which is the former MMD and the ferry port. Um, and then there's uh, Vessel, which is still a legal company, the energy company. There's Ravelin Group, which is the holding company for housing um, that they don't want in the, um, in the council books. And there's Ravelin Property, which is the development company part of Ravelin. Now, the guidance from uh, central government is that um, there should be an arm's length between council officials and uh, members and um, these companies. So in other words, if you're a council official, in other words, an, an elected officer, then you have a conflict of interest because the shareholder is your employer. But if you're a director, then you also have a responsibility towards the company. So the government guidance is if you're an elected member or council officer you shouldn't really be on the directorship of one of these companies but right now we've got um the um portico does well because it's got its legal manager um sadly it's got uh, or maybe not sadly but not quite right it's got donna jones as a director and gerald vernon jackson and chris ward uh, and then steve williams as well who's the operations director for uh, the port so i think that of those um donna gerald and chris are all conflicted um and on top of that, the other two board members also work for Mike Sellers. So you've really, really got one person in overall control of, of, the, uh, of Portico once you remove the people who are conflicted. Um, Vessel, we won't bother talking about because that's gone pretty much. Uh, Ravelin, we've got a PCC accountant, another PCC accountant, and an officer who's the director of regeneration. So all of these are conflicted and shouldn't be on the board according to the government guidance. And in Ravelin Property, we've got a PCC accountant, the director of regeneration, and the assistant director of property and investment for the council, all of whom are conflicted and shouldn't be on the board. 
uh, in my view. Good news. The good news is that the um, certainly with the Ravelin Group and Ravelin Property, the um, the director of regeneration is uh, hopefully going to get that sorted out in the next couple of months. Um, and what they've done is they've decided to have a shareholder committee because the council is the only shareholder to have a shareholder committee that's made up of um, representatives from each of the elected parties in the council and uh, major decisions will be reserved for them and can't be made uh, without their approval but they won't be involved in the day-to-day -day running so there will be no micromanagement of the businesses which is a good idea and you can turn these things around you know because portico that was a bit of a mess a few years ago uh, with the, the new management, Mike Sellers and Steve Williams, it's actually doing really, really well. It's doing very different things and it's making a lot of money. Like, did anybody notice there was a huge cruise ship came into the port the other week? I you did. Know, it's certainly to be refueled and, and refooded and stuff like that. So no passengers, but what a great idea, right? If you're just coming in for food and fuel, you're in between passenger trips. It's a lot cheaper to come to Portsmouth than to go to Southampton. Mm. In, the, in the same way they've established um, a, a gravel terminal sort of thing, massive thousands of tonnes of gravel um, that can be used for various things. Uh, again, part of the port, some really, really good things going on there. So that's good. But the point I was trying to make um, the other day was that um, if you don't pay attention to history, then it will repeat itself for you. Um, and there was... There was a case that I looked at that was more than 50 years old, which was the um, uh, the agents for um, the colonies, if you like. They were a crown appointment, the crown agents, they were called. Yep. And um, they were really there to generate sovereign wealth funds for the colonies and for other people. And they did really, really well until they got to about 1966, something like that. And then it all went belly up because they went off and invested in things they shouldn't invest in. Um, and th those sorts of problems, um, you know, if, the, if companies actually going bust, the, the then government spent the now equivalent of close on two billion recovering that situation. Um, and those sorts of things are happening again. So we've got at least six local authorities in the UK that are going bust right now. Right. Uh, and Croydon have already gone, and a, a lot of that was down to their building company called Brick to Brick, um, which simply never made any money, was badly run. Uh, it was just terrible. And you've got, you've got the situation where local authorities are setting up companies where they have no experience in that area. You know, they, they, they believe that they can use council officials to come in and run the business, but actually... Um, no, because they're completely different. You know, a mm. local authority runs completely differently from a commercial business. And you need a different mindset. You need different sets of understanding of risk. Um, different timetables come into play. Different review processes and so on and so on. And if we're setting up a commercial company, you can't have a commercial company that's run like a local authority. It's just not going to work. So you need to make it work properly. And my whole thing was, how do we make this work properly? Yeah, the only other thing that I've thought about, the, the Jerry, is you've just said, you, you just talked us through the four companies. Where does the fifth one sit, which is the the property holding piece that looks after, we own a Matterland and a warehouse in Eastleigh, and a, we last time you were on, we talked about buying the oh, big old 
arrangements at North Harbour. Does that not sit as a company somewhere? Uh, no, it doesn't. So the assets there you're talking about are Schlumberger, Waitrose, Matalan, DHL, Mercedes-Benz, the Leeds retail units, Travis Perkins, Lidl and Dunelm, Sharps, UPS and the Portsmouth Retail Park, plus, of course, North Harbour. Now, all of those still sat within the council. And wow. I'm not, not convinced that that is necessarily a really brilliant idea. And maybe they should transfer to Ravelin as the property company. And there are all sorts of issues around doing these sorts of things to do with taxation and funding and what money you can use where. Um, and it's not it's non-trivial doing this sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but I, I, I looked at what's happened over the last 50 years and, and looked particularly at the Crown Agents because it's so long ago and said, OK, what happened to them? And does this sound like anything that's happened to us recently? So, um, so the people at the Crown Agents with very limited commercial experience got taken in by a plausible to them investment scheme because they needed to make more money because they were short, because mm -hmm. right? things had gone a bit belly up for them. And the promise was of really handsome profits when those businesses got, got sold on. Um, the venture then defaults on its loans. They thought they'd secured them, but actually the security was wrong because the legal entity on their end wasn't actually a company. It was a, a crown agency with the crown agents. Um, and then the debt, debt passed to the taxpayer, of course, and then they had to go to the government to borrow the money to do it. The initial pitch was made completely by surprise. Nobody expected it by somebody who was going to benefit greatly from the authority making the investment. Um, there was inadequate attention to legal matters, and that meant post-failure recovery of investments was almost impossible. They ignored warnings from people that said, you need to think carefully about this, just got ignored. Uh, and the assets of the other parties in the company that were thought to be a guarantee were actually protected by a cutout company because their lawyers were smarter than the authorities. And that was how the Barclay brothers got started, by the way. You know, they made the equivalent of 100 million off that. So, so basically, what you're saying is there are there are large and historic examples of not necessarily municipal authorities, but I guess those exist too. But of um, civil civil servants, for want of a probably more accurate term, um, investing taxpayers' money beyond their experience and into areas and diversifying into areas of which they have no experience or expertise. Um, and getting done over, sorry, not done over, coming off with the wrong end of the soggy stick, being dipped in a bit of dog mess, um, because the other people you're dealing with do know what they're doing and do know what they're talking about, and even if things go pear-shaped, they know how to protect their nice shiny assets from it, from it all going peak-tong. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So we've got to do something about that if we're not going to see it repeated, right? So... What I've sort of thought about is um, those boards need to be strengthened. Right? They need to have people on them who are financially literate, you know, who really understand the risks of a special purpose vehicle or a parent company guarantee and derivative instruments, all of which are used in this sort of thing, um, have got experience of what it's like to negotiate a complex contract. Um, uh, will work for very low cost. In other words, they're not there to make money from it, because if they make a lot of money from it, then there's a sort of a feeling that, you know, you want to do the thing that might not be the right thing for everybody. Mm. 
And, and isn't that um, part, sorry to cut in there, Joey, but isn't that part of the challenge that the, the people who are very good at doing these kind of things tend to do them very well and they make very decent financial gains out of them? Um, and so I guess the challenge is getting the person with all those skills and experience who is prepared to do that kind of work without the usual massive financial gain that comes from doing it. Yeah, I mean, you could employ somebody part time, you know, a couple of days a month, if you like, to keep an eye on stuff. And that, that happens with um, non-executive directors yeah. um, in the commercial world. But it's the, if you like, it's the fact that you need somebody on the board who isn't subject to control by other members of the board right who doesn't report to them or get paid by them whose job isn't with the shareholder right? whose responsibilities are towards the company so they're not subject to any gagging orders um, and are given access to all of the data and have access to the shareholders in our cases the ele elected leadership in the authority and the chief exec and are prepared to get a monthly report in place and, and build a list of these are the things we need in the checklist, this is why, this is how we're going to do it, and are then obliged, I think, to turn up to uh, scrutiny management or governance and audit meetings, if requested, to talk about the companies that they represent. I think that would be really a, a good idea. Whether it happens or not, we'll find out in the future. So... Yeah, kind of. I mean, to in my and forgive me, my kind of very simplistic understanding. It kind of seems really logical to me that, on one hand, you want to make sure that you're listening to experts, and actually, as Ian has just pointed out, sometimes the experts can be expensive. But sometimes yep. the the cost of not paying for experts is actually greater than than. But sometimes it's politically um, sensitive to pay for experts because they're an expensive. They can they can be an expensive resource, can't they? So in that respect, there's a there's a whole probably side question about the you know the the, the amount you pay people, but and what the you know what the market says their their advice is worth, and and how much. I think it's I think it's more a question of can you afford not to take them on? Yes. So yeah. So the so the risk of not listening to someone that knows what they're talking about is you know if that's greater than actually not being funny paying the cost of actually engaging that person even you know even like you say for a, a, a you know a few days a week or on a retainer at the end of the day surely it's better to listen to people that know what they're talking about instead of instead yeah. of which which hopefully we probably have um, evidence each week on on the podcast by what we say um so um so that so there's there's kind of that angle and then on the other side what you're saying is that the board of directors should have should have people on it that are not linked or beholden to other people so therefore aren't dependent on any other members or yeah. any stakeholders that are connected with that company uh, and then yeah. to be able to say actually no this is the, this is a wrong idea this is the bad bad idea and to say that to the to the stakeholder you know the primary stakeholders which in this instance is mm -hmm. the elected representatives um leaders of leaders of the council so why don't we do that that seems that seems too logical to me i'm missing something seems too easy well i'm i'm, I'm hoping it's sort of going to come about um I'll give you an example of why it's a good idea if you want one. Okay. So Ben Ainsley Racing, um, the nice building they've got, um, the whole story of how that saga came about is is one of, it, in effect, being Russian fronted, you know, being told, if you don't do this, then this other thing is going to happen. And um, 
PCC were sold the story that they were in direct competition with Southampton. Um, and therefore the decisions were rushed. And so uh, BAR were given the plot of land on which they've got their building and their car park, uh, for which they don't pay any business rates. Um, but then the council found out afterwards they'd forgotten to factor in the one and a half million quid it was going to cost to relocate Vivias from that site to somewhere else. Um, also, they uh, they decided to give them the property without um, without any business rates for all the time that they were actually racing. And when they finished racing, they could keep the property uh, and they'd only pay the rates at the equivalent of a brownfield site. And that's, a, I think, a 300 year lease on that building. Um, and then um, when they finish racing, they can convert the building to flats because they don't need planning permission. And they didn't pay for the building in the first place because it was a government grant. So, you know, another example of where things got really rushed through, maybe not for the best of reasons. And, um, you know, lots of people raised the issue with um, the legal team at the city council and said, you know, what's going on, guys? Um, and frankly, were not given a lot of attention. And the objective was to get the thing up and running as quickly as possible. I don't disagree. It's a good idea. I don't think it made the money that the people claimed it would do when they said it was coming in. I'm glad it's here in Portsmouth. I like to see the boats. But it's just an example of where we rush stuff through. The same is true with the energy company. You know, no scrutiny. Even when asked, they never turned up to governance and audit meetings. Um, we're five million down. Um, because of procrastination, political procrastination, the wind up of the company took 18 months longer than it should have done, you know, and incurred another million or so on the cost. Um, all of the lost opportunity costs of all the people in the council who worked on that um, weren't factored in, weren't costed in. So those sorts of things, you know, if somebody comes to you with an idea that looks too good to be true, it might well be too good to be true. So it, it just needs, I think, some some more, um, what should we say, um, experienced is the wrong word, battered, I think, people who've been battered in previous lives to be able to bring that um, that experience um, to, to the thing is, is what I'd like to see, because I'm fed up with seeing millions and millions of our money being lost on these ventures without any real... Management. It's a it's a really good point, isn't it, Jerry? And when we talk, you know, when we talk about, um, you know, the cost, you know, if you bring in somebody experienced two days a month on six hundred pound a day, well, at the end of the year you've paid them sixty thousand. If by doing that you haven't lost a million, that feels like exceptional value to me. Yep. It, it does to you, but there'll be someone that that says, "Why are you spend? Why are you spending sixty thousand pound on someone that only works to?" Um... Yeah, no, there's there's always going to be the politics of envy, Simon, and I I absolutely get that. You know, it is uh, it, it is that that is always going to be the, you know, that that cry of, "Well, why do you pay somebody that much?" Well, because they've got a unique set of skills, and they will find you and they will kill you. No, that's something different. But they've got a unique set of skills that that means that you know. It's an investment rather than a, than a than a luxury, but I'm sure, you know, people will point at it and and you know it'll be jobs for the boys or girls. So um yes, it's it's and I guess Jerry. So how how does this get? I, I know this this has been something that's been sort of niggling at you for a, a prolonged time. What what do you have feelings of optimism that the world is going to change in some time in the near future? 
Yeah, I'm pretty confident that um, the plans that are currently in place, um, of which I'm not fully cognizant, but I understand there are some, um, will deliver for at least the property company um, some benefit. Uh, my suggestion to, to various people is that you should have that sort of setup on all the companies that the council owns and that the property portfolio should be similarly managed. You know, that we need to make sure we don't have political involvement in commercial decisions. All seems eminently sensible. No, that doesn't look a good idea to me. Why we don't have political decisions in other things that aren't political, do we? No. Well, we no. do. And, and, I mean, just the, the obvious things need to be in place that aren't in place, like the proper reporting, right? The proper reporting monthly, right? I want, I would like to see uh, a similar thing to what I used to be, used to call a bid review, where every plan that was in place for every business once a month came to the Beak's desk and uh, they had to explain the plan to some very bright people who were able to ask some very smart questions <coughs> and make sure that this thing was actually doing what they were being told it was doing. And if not, they changed the leadership of the project. Um, and that, that would be a very useful thing to have, you know, to have um, proper audit. We've lost so much of our audit <coughs> capability now that, you know, it's it's barely enough to do the absolute minimum, never mind getting involved with these companies. And we've also got the other issue we've got with these companies is the way that they're probably going to be staffed is that there's going to be a contract between um, the city council and the company for the company to rent people from the city council on a part time basis. Now, that's fine. But my question is, assuming that those people weren't sat on their ass all day, <laughs> which i know is a big assumption right but yeah. assuming they weren't right because everybody's working their nuts off at the moment in the council like unbelievable hours anyway so they're going to be taken away from that job and put into this role in the company for a while so who's doing their job while they're away and where's the money coming from to fund the replacement for that job whilst they're away or is it an addition to what they're doing in which case there's a lost opportunity cost there. In other words, there's stuff that they could have done in their current job that now they can't do because they've been told to go and do something else. And then they're conflicted. Yeah. Where, where's the, where's the, where's the spare bit in the, in the, in the so-called spare resource. And if they're not spare, why is there no back for them? Exactly. And if they are spare, why is that? Yeah. Why are they spare? What the hell? I think there's a, there's a lot there um, to chew on. So, Jerry, thank you. Insightful as always. Um, I always love it when you come on because we always leave with slightly furrowed brows and more thinking to be done um, post post podcast. So, thank you for your time again today. It's been great to have you on. And welcome back. So. Um, as I've messed up Ian being unmuted um, and here he is he's back yes indeed I, I realised that um, I entirely lashed up my own mental maths that so if you pay somebody £600 a day oh yep 
that's uh, uh, two days a month. That's only £15,000 a year, not 60000 I was doing it two days a week. So, uh, no, insightful as ever for Jared from Jerry. And, uh, yeah, he, he actually does his work properly. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow till we die. I am probably in Tiny Morris for the last time before the lizard people take me over. And our guest has been... I've been Jerry Brown, Jerry the Inquisitor Brown. Uh, thanks for having me on. And I've been Simon Sansbury. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast, blue and yellow till we die from Amazon Music. Alexa, the latest episode. stop. See? It's easy.